Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? With art, there was no textbook to study. You had to really invent the answers yourself, and I found that to be much more gratifying because then when I was successful in my artistic practice, it was really like, it, it felt like that was of my own doing. And I think that's just an aspect of, of being someone who creates things. That is the voice of today's guest, Kieran Freeman, and I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave. Thanks for tuning in to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast, where I interview just a few of the unique and interesting students, professors, and staff on the Santa Clara University campus. Lots of exciting things have been happening recently with the podcast. You might have seen the Renee Bumgarner Athletic Director episode featured on the Santa Clara website homepage or on the SCU email or Facebook The last couple weeks I've been ramping up my rate of interviews and I will have some to publish throughout the summer and fall even though I will not be on campus while school's in session. Um, Today's guest, Kieran Freeman, is a senior. He's the assistant residence director in the Casa Italiana residence hall and he is an artist. He has lots of experience combining art and social justice and we get into that. Kieran is an immersion trip coordinator Last summer, he was a student fellow at Commonweal Magazine on a Gene Donovan Fellowship with Santa Clara. He was a Recology student fellow, which is the waste management program in San Francisco uh, this past year. After graduating, Kieran will be going out to New York for a year where he has received the Joseph A. O'Hare Postgraduate Media Fellowship, which is from a Jesuit media organization in New York. So as you can tell, Kieran has been extremely successful in his artistic practice, and we get into the different things he's been involved with on campus and how he seeks to make a change in the world using art. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Please share this with your friends. Uh, Voices of Santa Clara is gaining some great traction, and I would just love your help in spreading the word about this project. That's plenty of introductions. Now, please enjoy this interview with Kieran Freeman. I would love to start out by asking, so we're in this cool new art building, uh, Dowd, on the third floor, and I've gotten to see some of the exhibits that you're putting up right now and some of the new uh, new machinery, new rooms. What has it been like having this, this building, and how is it different than your first two years at Santa Clara? Mm-hmm. So I got a nice mix of being two years in the old building which was the exact opposite of this building in every way. But there were really nice things that came along with that. Um, It was just a different culture and a different vibe and uh, things that would go on, not having to keep everything pristine all the time, but then coming to this building where the facilities are just infinitely better. um, Everything's taken much more seriously. And I think that's really affirming as an artist. I think it's it's a tough major to be here at Santa Clara. This isn't an art school, obviously. But here with the new building, I think we're really starting to take the art seriously and there isn't really a sense of shame to say that you're an art major anymore when we have like the nicest building on campus and a lot of people will come here to study. It, it's really, I think, just a new a new moment for the arts on campus and it's really exciting to be a part of that and to be able to see that transition from one to the other and to take advantage of like the, the best things that came out of both. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when you hear that someone's an art major, there's kind of that that stigma of like, oh, cool, I'm glad you're doing art, which is a cool childhood thing maybe, but mm-hmm. are you thinking about your future and getting a job? So what would you say to maybe a student who's considering majoring in art who's kind of worried about, like, am I am I going to have a job? Is this something worth studying in college? It's a tough question. <laughs> I think it's a question that we all deal with um, all the time. I think I came into Santa Clara knowing that I wanted to do studio art, which was kind of atypical here. Not a lot of people come in as an art major, but I did, and I always thought I would add something practical along the way, some sort of a double major that would open up more doors for me or guarantee me jobs um, or do something of that nature. But then as I took more and more core classes and I took more classes in my major and in uh, just different subjects, I realized that I wanted to focus entirely on studio art. And then along the way, I started really falling in love with art history um, and adding that as a second major, which really doesn't open up any more doors (laughs) than just a studio art major alone. But for me, it was more about finding what I needed to do and what I'm good at um, and what I love. And then when I can when I'm doing that, I'm really at my best, and I've been really successful here at Santa Clara because I've fully committed to those things as opposed to doing something that I'm not passionate about that maybe has more certainty long-term. But I think that those successes are driving me forward. I don't want to quit something if it's going well, and right now it's really going well for me, uh, which is exciting, but I know that that might not always be the case. Um, but I think there's a lot of majors here that don't guarantee jobs. Like I don't know what a political scientist does. I don't know what a lot of these different majors do, but you're really just gaining skills that can be applicable elsewhere in the workforce. And I feel like I've been doing that through my extracurriculars, uh, through residence life, really gaining practical skills that are necessary for any kind of work that you want to go into um, and kind of building my resume that way. But by still kind of studying what I want and what I'm good at, I find it much more fulfilling to do it that way. I think it's also easy for me because my parents are really supportive of me in that. I think a lot of people struggle to have parents that come from that kind of a mindset that are willing to support you uh, no matter kind of what it is. I think also my mom comes from a dance background, so having her come from that kind of experience um, and then knowing the the hardships that you kind of face with that when you graduate and you don't know what you're going to do with it, um, but also that inspiration to kind of do it because you need to more so even than because you want to. Was there a moment growing up when you knew that like art is what you wanted to do with your life? No, <laughs> I just uh, was. O- I always liked art. I was always good at art. Uh, there were a lot of things I wasn't good at. I, like I never really enjoyed sports. I don't really like watching sports. I never liked playing sports. Um, but I always enjoyed art. Um, I was always good at school. I was a good student. And then when I got to high school, I found that my art classes were really the places that challenged me the most because. You have to think creatively in art classes, and a lot of other classes, as long as you studied, you would do well in the class. If you just studied the textbook, then you could answer the questions. With art, there was no textbook to study. You had to really invent the answers yourself, and I found that to be much more gratifying, because then when I was was successful in my artistic practice, it was really like, it, it felt like that was of my own doing, and I think that's just an aspect of, of being someone who creates things. Um, and I just, I loved that. And I loved the conversations that were going on in the art, uh, classes that I was taking in high school. I had really, really amazing art teachers who were both practicing artists themselves. I went to high school, I'm from New Jersey and I went to high school in Jersey city, which is right outside of New York city. So having artists that were tapped into those kinds of worlds and seeing what it means to be someone who makes art into their adulthood was inspiring because I could see myself doing that. And that's why when I got to college, I was like, I can still do that. And I've only 
had that experience tenfold here, having a number of professors that are really sources of inspiration with their own practices, their own lives, um, being able to balance everything mm-hmm. has given me a path forward, I think, that I could foresee for myself. Mm-hmm. I know you've gone on several immersion trips and mm-hmm. been a leader on some of those, and so I'm kind of curious about what you see as the intersection between art and social justice and how those two things kind of linked together and what experiences you've had that have allowed you to like see that link. Yeah, definitely. I think that's kind of like the buzzword on my resume, the intersection of art and social justice. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to keep exploring. Those were like the things that I I, I came to Santa Clara because of those things. I saw um, a real commitment to the, the type of, the types of way I was talking about social justice in high school, going to a Jesuit high school, was how they were talking about them here as well. So that's something that I knew that I wanted. And then coming here, I knew that I wanted to study art and I wanted to continue those passions and those explorations of issues relating to justice. And I've just been able to do that in really amazing ways. Uh, getting involved with immersions early on, I went on a, a spring break immersion my freshman year to San Jose, which was really local and great. And then I um, had the opportunity to lead an immersion as a sophomore to the Arizona border. Uh, and immigration issues are something that I'm fascinated with. Um, I come from an immigrant family myself. My dad is from Ireland, and I deal with that a lot in my own artistic practice, um, work relating to him and his experience or my own experiences as being his son um, and what it means to be in the Irish diaspora. A lot of these different questions are things I ask in my work, and I think I started learning about learning to ask those questions by being in these circles that were talking about social justice. So we, we went to the Arizona border, we were able to meet with migrants and, and hear their experiences and, and see the differences, and in my opinion, the double standards of what it means to be a white immigrant in this country versus an immigrant of color. So I started getting involved with those, and then this past year I led a, an immersion to Ecuador over winter break, which was really cool because it was my first international immersion, uh, seeing how people live outside of this country. And then... It was the, that intersection is something that I spent last summer doing as a Gene Donovan fellow. Um, I got an internship with Commonweal Magazine in New York City, and they gave me the opportunity to just walk around New York City to just spend the summer there, really looking at the intersection of art and social justice. So how in the art world's capital in New York City do people talk about art, and how does that relate to social justice? And I think the first place I went was uh, the Sean Kelly Gallery on 10th Avenue, and um, I got to see a Kehinde Wiley show. Uh, and it was really great because Kehinde Wiley is probably the foremost uh, black painter at the moment. He paints figurative, uh, figurative work that kind of calls into question the, art, the canon of art history, placing black figures at the center of it, where for most of Western art's history, they've either been absent or they've been depicted negatively. So it was really great to be able to go to that show. Uh, and then what really like made that experience just set the tone for my entire summer was being there with um, a group of students from the Bronx Charter School uh, for the Arts. So these were young black children that were there seeing work by a black artist in, in, in a top-tier gallery, a blue-chip gallery. And all of the paintings were depicting black artists. So there was a painting of Carrie Mae Weems, there was a painting of Carrie James Marshall, and all these really inspiring figures. And and for me being there, I got to see the way that art and social justice connect, that Kehinde Wiley really breaking some barriers for himself while also paying homage to other black artists who had broken barriers was creating a new environment for for children and for the future and being able to witness that through their eyes being in the gallery space with them and it was all by coincidence it really just like opened that up for me and it was a really exciting moment uh and then most recently since that happened kinda wiley was commissioned to do a barack obama's presidential portrait so he was in the news there so it's really cool to see that come full circle but yeah so 
that's me and the intersection of those things and what yeah. I'm interested in. <laughs> How do you think you'll continue to like ask those questions? Mm-hmm. Are, are there any like topics that you maybe haven't explored so much that you're interested in doing more with in the future? Yeah. So luckily, I have a really clear and easy answer to that question. I applied for the Joseph A. O'Hare Postgraduate Media Fellowship through American Media, which is the media organization that the Jesuits run in New York. Um, and I was lucky to win the fellowship. And hopefully I'll be doing similar things to what I was doing last summer with Commonweal. I'll be looking sort of at the, and writing about the intersection of those things um, and having a, a full year to kind of explore them more in depth. Hmm. Hopefully doing that cross-platform through different um, things like video, podcasts, uh, written word, online, digital, all these different things. Uh, so I'm really excited to continue that work that I kind of started out last summer. Um, and then continuing my artistic practice is really a bigger deal for me. So uh, I've also had some experiences with activism. I was involved with SCAP. I was the program coordinator for Labor Action Committee. And I tried the whole activism thing. And I found that that really wasn't for me. Hmm. Activism takes a lot of work, really, that I was interested in doing. But it, it takes a real commitment to being on one side of an issue. And for me, I, I prefer to be able to really like take a nuanced understanding and apply my own life and my own lived experiences to it that I don't think activism really gives you the agency to do or didn't give me that agency. Um, so for me, I'm able to explore these questions in less of a deliberate fashion and more of a roundabout, um, paradoxical way through my own paintings and through my own work. Um, and just continuing that and continuing to ask those questions is I think how I'm contributing to that dialogue and to those conversations and to figuring out really who I am in this world and, and how that impacts other people and, and just being kind of critical of the world and of myself in it and seeing who I, who am I working with that through a visual medium. Um, so continuing that long term and then seeing where all this takes me will be exciting. Hmm. And then this past year, you were also a student fellow at Recology yeah. in San Francisco. So how did you, how did that get started? Like, did you just send them an email? How did you even know they existed? Yeah, so that actually goes back to my time with SCAP. Um, we combined, we did a, a collaborative event with SCAP and the Student Art League, which I run. We took a trip up with a bunch of the environmental justice folks um, and student artists to go see the artist in residency program at Recology. And for those of you who don't know, Recology is the waste management company for the entire city of San Francisco, as well as other areas in the in the Bay Area. Um, but we were visiting their location up um, right in Bayshore uh, on the outskirts of San Francisco. Um, and when we were there, we were learning about the different they're, they always bring in artists every four months um, for an, a new cycle, and they have studios on site, and they're able to make work made entirely from material diverted from landfills. Um, and when I was there, you know, uh, my good friend Marissa, she, like, elbowed me, and she's like, here, and you should apply for this. They have the student position. And I kind of put it on the back burner for a little bit. That was last winter. And then over the summer, I just took an afternoon and put together an application. And then when I got back to campus... In August, uh, I went up and interviewed and then got the spot for the October through January cycle and then spent a good amount of time up there sifting through garbage and uh, thinking about how to make that into artwork. And it all culminated with my first solo exhibition. So it was the first time I was making an entire body of work to show as one cohesive body um, in my own space, uh, which is really exciting. I think I ended up making about 26 works um, over the four months, a lot of which I did over winter break. I had access to a lot of the studios here. Um, but yeah, it was a really great, I had a studio up in San Francisco and then was using this, the, the, the spaces endowed to create a lot of the work. Um, and then to show it at the end of January. And it was a really, 
amazing experience because not a lot of people have that opportunity to have their own solo exhibition. And it just kind of, it really proved to me that this was something that if I set my mind to it, I could continue doing. It was well received and people were really supportive and it gave me a lot of the affirmations that I think I needed to make the harder parts of being an artist worth it. Hmm. How do you get inspiration and how do you kind of balance looking at art or being in the world with like creating things? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the most important things a visual artist can do is to go out and look at art. I've just... I've been able to, I've been really lucky to have opportunities to do that a lot. That's what I spent last summer doing was just going to different galleries, going to different museums, uh, looking at art all the time, um, tapping into, you know, media that writes about art. So I'm constantly reading artsy magazine, uh, and a lot of other different platforms. I follow Jerry Saltz, who I think is a great art critic and everyone should follow him, but I'm, I'm constantly reading about it. And then just really taking the time, and it's not an easy thing to do because sometimes it's really daunting to go into a museum and spend like four hours there or to even pay the $25 sometimes it costs to get in. It can be very prohibitive, um, but it's important to do nonetheless. And I think last spring I was getting antsy on campus and I was getting kind of bored and, and I decided to take spring quarter off um, and I ended up studying, not studying abroad, I just went up to um, Europe for six weeks, two of which I spent in the Berne College of Art doing a, a short residency. Um, but the rest of the time I really just spent visiting different cities and looking at art. Um, and that was an amazing experience to just take it all in and to process everything visually and see what different artists are doing. Um, I think that's really the biggest thing is to just look. And then what I do then is see, well, what are people doing? Is this work inspiring me? And then what from my own life, uh, can be a source of inspiration. So right now I'm working on creating this kind of visual vocabulary through my practice that relates kind of to class and labor, diaspora, gender, all these different things that I'm trying to deal with in my practice, mostly taking images and materials from my experiences working with my dad in construction. Mm. It's actually been a while since I've worked with him. I think it's, it was about two summers ago and earlier. Uh, but that's when I, I would just, you know, on the job site, just pull out my phone and take a few source images. And I, I have a good stockpile of those that I refer back to. So I, I work with a lot of imagery from my experiences there. Then Vercology gave me the opportunity to really explore materiality in my work and taking those building materials and applying them to the work as well. In the past, I had just kind of been doing charcoal drawings, and now I was doing drawings with found enamel on top of wood panels that were found, incorporating blueprints, um, incorporating a lot of things that actually related to the work um, in new and interesting ways through mixed media. So it has been a really fun way to push my practice forward. Hmm. How do you think our culture's like experience of art is going to change in the next five or 10 years. Like, do you think there will still be as many like muse visiting museums or are there going to be other ways that people experience and create art? I think it's a tough question to ask. It's always hard to predict the future, but I think there's interesting things going on on social media right now. Um, people sharing their own artwork. It's becoming more democratic. There's a lot of issues with markets and art fairs and things like that. Um, and galleries and I don't know how sustainable a lot of those things are but I think it'll be interesting to see politically what happens just in general but also uh, and how that will affect kind of the art world I think one of the things that we're, we're as a nation doing the past few years is really questioning the institutions that we prop up I think a lot of people are questioning the media the value of the media and, and what that means but I think on the other side of that that's what museums are is they're cultural institutions and I think uh, people are questioning them, but I think hopefully eventually it'll make them stronger. I think that they're a really absolutely vibrant and important 
part of our society. Um, but now because we have the freedom to question them, I think we're, we're propelling them forward a lot. There's a lot of issues with museums. I think if you look at the Gorilla Girls, they point out a lot of these flaws. Um, the fact that the, the vast majority of women in the collection uh, in the collections of different museums are nude images of women from paintings and things. You know, they're not presented the way that they are and they're not represented in the collections as makers. They're only usually co- uh, collected as objects. Also, you know, diversify, adding more diversity in the workforce, changing who's curating exhibitions, who's included on on the highest levels of, of power in these institutions. And I think as we watch those things change, I think um, the value of the work is only going to get better and more representative as our nation as a whole. So that will be really exciting to see, just seeing better work from broader swaths of people. And back to your time on campus, you started mm-hmm. the Student Art League, yeah? So what is what is that and why did you Yeah, so <laughs> we had an art club, and it was fun. Uh, it, was, it didn't take itself too seriously. And what happened was with the new building, I thought it was time to create a student organization that was better organized, first off. Um, but then that also took itself more seriously and kind of demanded the respect that it needed. And then pretty much the whole idea of it is that we're an organization of people who look at and appreciate art on campus, or people who look at and make art on campus. Um, so that, that could mean that you're a studio person, that you're someone who makes art, or you're an art history major, you're someone who looks at art or writes about art, or you're just someone who isn't related to the department, has never taken a class here, but also likes art, um, and you're more than welcome to come join us on whatever we're doing. But what I wanted to do was really make an organization that would meet the needs of student artists. I think there are a lot of needs that we have here, um, whether that be more opportunities to talk about our work outside of class. We started an advanced critique program to take the people who are making the best work in the department in any given quarter and inviting them to share that outside of a classroom setting critique um, and talk critically about their work with their peers, but also with um, professors, both from studio art and art history, to just have to start elevate the dialogues that we're having about our work. Um, to kind of, I think that's one of the most important ways you can get better as an artist is if you can talk about and think about your work on a higher level. Um, that was one of the big needs that we met. Uh, just more opportunities to view art. I think viewing art is really important. I've kind of went on about that for a while already, but just joining together, I think it's a lot less intimidating to go into a museum if you're with a group of friends. Um, so we took a lot of trips. We've also found opportunities to go to places that we wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. So last winter, we visited Bruce Beasley's studio. He's a Bay Area sculptor. Um, and something like a, a studio visit with a world-renowned artist isn't something that you can just do on your own. Um, it took the director of the Day to Say Museum to, to make it happen, but it was a really amazing opportunity for us. And, and having like a, a very specific, finite a group of students who are committed to these things and having the organizational structure to make them happen is something that I take a lot of pride in. Uh, it's also given us a lot of opportunities to engage more with public art projects. Right now we're in the midst of a collaborative effort with ASG to paint um, new yard chairs, uh, Adirondack chairs to put around campus. And it's it's really exciting because not only are we going to have this, this artwork and this um, public art installation that a lot of students are going to be able to enjoy, sit out in the sun and study and appreciate them. But we were able to negotiate with um, ASG and with the Office of Student Life to be able to get the artists paid for the labor that they were putting into them. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is we like to take ourselves seriously. We have to recognize that um, that what we're doing is labor and we have to be paid for that labor. Uh, art is one of those fields that people always expect you to do things pro bono, expect you to work for nothing. Um, and it's really easy to do that. 
but if we come together and we collect together, we can we kind of have a collective bargaining, uh, more agency there, and we're able to say, you know, we want a fair compensation for this because this isn't the work that we would be making. This isn't our our practice. This isn't what's really important to us. This is um, us doing a favor, uh, and favors, you know, should be paid more or less. So that was a big deal. Um, but just bind, bonding together, finding opportunities like that. Um, to support each other, and then also more opportunities to show each other's work. So we've started um, a new fall exhibition to give everyone an opportunity to show some work at the beginning of the year, fill up the hallway endowed with student work, kind of get everyone excited about the work they'll be making for the, the next upcoming year, but also to get that byline on your resume of just another exhibition that you've had. Uh, we had an opportunity to give Jack Williams, a photographer, a senior, he got a, scene, uh, a solo show on the second floor. We were able to work with the Student Art League to make that happen, to hang it, to negotiate with the art department to make it happen. But just really bonding together and working together to support each other's, to support each other as artists, to really uplift each other and the culture here, and to create that kind of a culture that supports the arts on campus. So th- those are the main things that I've tried to do with the Student Art League, um, and hopefully it's been successful. We also just like to have fun and to kind of network and create positive environments that can create these kind of structures to support the arts and to usher in that new culture of the arts on campus that the school loves to talk about. But really that has to happen at the grassroots level with the students. And that's what um, the Student Art League intends to do. Yeah. And then my last bigger question is about being in residence life. So you're currently a assistant resident director. Mm-hmm. What is that like and what have you learned from your experience in residence life? Yeah. Working in residence life is great the way i've kind of viewed it is it's a really great way to to make a a means to the end which is kind of a sad way to look at it because it's been so much more than that to me it's given me so many opportunities to uh, network with other people to create really positive uh, life-changing relationships a lot of my closest friends are people i've worked with in residence life Um, so i don't mean to really demean any of that or that experience but at the end of the day um it doesn't make sense to take out a lot of debt to get a degree in studio art or, or art history or both. Um, so being able to work in residence life has, off, has offered me like the, the financial stability to do that um, and to be able to focus, so to be able to use the skills that I've cultivated elsewhere uh, in, in residence life to, to kind of, you know, considerably fund my education um, has been life-changing or life-giving and I think will actually offer me uh, great opportunities down the road, not having to worry as much about debt and things um, because I've been able to work throughout college. But then it's also, it's just, it's responsibility and it's, it's exciting to have responsibility or leadership on campus. And then I've always found ways that when I'm at my best is, is when I'm meeting these kind of intersections of the different things I'm passionate about. And I'm the assistant resident director in Casa Italiana, which um, anyone familiar with things that go on on campus knows that there's been a lot of issues um, with anti-blackness um, and other um, just prejudices over the last two years of anonymous acts that were racist, that were bigoted, happening in the building, Black Lives Matter, bulletin boards being torn down, uh, people writing on whiteboards that Black Lives don't matter. And then how do we kind of address that? And being able to be in a position to guide my uh, my community facilitators and to guide the leadership team and to work all together to address that in-house, in the building, really where people are most affected 
has been tough. It's been a really hard thing to do, but it's been kind of life-giving. So one of the things that I was able to do was to work with Justice Starts Here, which is the initiative within um, Residence Life to address matters of diversity and inclusion. And we developed a new program model where instead of just having random programs, we now do a series focused on one issue. So right now, for this quarter, we're focusing on uh, racial healing and how do we come together to talk about race and, and how, how do we do those things in productive ways. And we're doing that through the lens of art. Obviously, that's my passion, uh, but it's also embedded in the theme of our building where Da Vinci, um, and obviously Da Vinci is most famous for being an artist. So we thought, what what better way to really address these 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 deep, raw emotions in our building than through something that's at the core of what our building's theme is. So right now, just yesterday, we took a tour of jazz greats um, to acknowledge the real contributions that the black community has had to arts in this country through jazz, which I think hip hop and rock and roll both come out of jazz in that art form. Uh, so we were able to go to the day to say and kind of view the show and then also have these kind of critical dialogues. Later on in the quarter, we're doing a history of hip hop program where a professor's coming in to kind of lecture on the history of hip hop and its origins and talk about how that relates to race and healing in this country. We're also bringing in Professor Renee Billingsley, who's a photography professor here, who talks a lot about um, issues of race in her work. She just had an uh, exhibition at the Rosa Parks Museum, and she's going to talk about what, what does it mean to be an ally, uh, how do you talk about issues of race from the white perspective, um, what is that in her own experience, how does she kind of question those things, what happens there. Another thing that we're doing is a lot of the things that we run into is uh, we're, we're always preaching to the choir, you know, it's whoever was the person that wrote Black Lives Don't Matter on the bulletin board isn't going to be the person showing up to the program. And I think that's a valid, you know, critique. It's, it's something that is probably the reality. Um, and it's really frustrating to put on these programs, hoping that that person's going to show up and then recognizing that they're not. So one of the things that we had in conversation this quarter when we were planning it was, well, if we're going to preach to the choir, how do we continue to make the choir learn? How do we elevate the way that we talk about race? Um, how do we kind of not accept ourselves as perfect role models, but instead accept ourselves as people who are just on the same journey, who are just trying to learn and, and come together and have these kind of hard, difficult conversations? And one of the ways that we're doing that is, is looking more in depth at issues of diversity. It's great to say Black Lives Matter, but then also well, how do we look at intersectional identities? And one of the programs that we're putting on is we're going to be doing a screening of um, Lena Waithe's Master of None episode, Thanksgiving, where she talks about her coming out experience um, generationally. So over the course of her whole life, every, every uh, scene is on a different Thanksgiving from her youth all the way up to the present day. And she tells her coming out story through that. So asking the question of what does it mean to be a black person, but also what does it mean to be a black woman and what does it mean to be a queer black woman? And then taking her storytelling and, and her art and, and letting that affect us and having a critical conversation on that um, is, a is a way, I think, that we lift up each other because we do talk about diversity and we, we say diversity is important. And a lot of the times that that's where we allow the conversation to end and we don't look more at, at what that might mean. And I, and I think recognizing intersectionality is a huge part of that. And, and just hearing more authentic stories from more different perspectives is how we can continue to preach to the choir and we can continue to, to learn mutually and come to these, these better understandings of solidarity, these better understandings of kinship, those things that we talk about but we, we, I think, sometimes struggle to put into action. So, yeah, so that's me and residence life and, and looking at my inter my passion for the intersection of art and social justice and applying that to the work that I'm doing there. 
Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple of shorter questions. Yeah. So first off, you mentioned that you traveled some last year, but I'm wondering if there are any favorite places that you've traveled to. Yes. <laughs> I am totally biased to Ireland. I've been going, my dad's from there and I've been going there my whole life. So I love the food. I love everything about the country. I'll be going there in June to show some work at K-Fest, an emerging artist festival. Um, so I can't plug Ireland enough, but one specific place is actually the Katakalwitz Museum in Cologne, Germany. It's weirdly on the second floor of a shopping mall, um, but she's probably my favorite artist of all time. Uh, she's a printmaker from kind of the early part of the 20th century and she has a museum dedicated to her work there and it's unbelievable um i think it's a real hidden gem there in western germany hmm. do you have any art recommendations or either artists or publications that people should check out if they are interested in learning more yeah so i think the biggest thing that i use is artsy it's a website for galleries to sell their work but they also have a great magazine um online an online magazine, uh, and they have great editorials, but they also um, summarize the shows that are going on in different museums and galleries and things, so it's really easy to just go on there and see what's going on at any given point, at any given city, um, and then looking at what you might be interested in. So I always just go on there before I'm going to any city um, and then pick kind of what I want to see based on that. Um, and then just really just showing up to museums, whether that be the Day to Say Museum on campus, checking out jazz greats or checking out whatever shows that they're putting on or going all the way up to SF MoMA or the D. Young. The Cantor at Stanford is a free museum. The Anderson, Anderson Collection has amazing works all from the 20th century um, and contemporary. It's really just showing up and making a day out of it and it can be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? That's a tough one. I think I would probably just want everyone to find a little bit more peace. I think we're at a, a really rough point in this country. I'm still processing. I've been processing since I watched it Saturday night. Um, Childish Gambino's This is America. And I don't think anything sums up our cultural experience right now better than that video. And I think that video just shows that the opposite of what we have right now in this country is peace. And that's what we need. So just telling everyone to find a little more peace in their life, I think, would be what I would want to tell everyone across the country. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Oh, an ideal Saturday for me is spent alone in a city. I like to go, when I'm home, I, I take one day every day whenever I go home for like Christmas or spring break or whatever. Uh, and I go into New York City and I just spend the day alone um, doing whatever I want to do. I I, if, it, if the weather's nice, I'll rent a city bike and then just go all the way. I'll start all the way up, like by the Met uh, up in the 90s on the Upper East Side and then just work my way down the entire city and just stop wherever I want. If that's in the High Line, um, if that's at another museum, uh, at different galleries, but just spending the day um, kind of in complete isolation, listening to podcasts, I'll put those in on my headphones and then just doing whatever I want. It's also a lot easier when I'm by myself because then if whatever I wanted to do isn't good, I don't have to pretend like it is. I think sometimes when I'm with other people, I have to pretend like my recommendations are good and work out when they don't often. Uh, so I don't have to worry about that. I can just go on and do the next thing that I want to do and I don't have to worry about other people and that. So that's probably my ideal Saturday is just spent alone doing whatever I want. And most of the time that's Netflix, but that's important too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this interview. Yeah, thank Appreciate you for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day. Thank you.